Right, I've been given the huge task <laughs> of talking about the gospel, or at least one-sixth of it, according to John Piper. Um, okay. If you'd like to start turning in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. Sorry? Okay, it's, it's warming up. It'll be brighter in a minute. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to go into a little... Um, tangent, um, a little talk of my own, aside from all this, about parasitic helminths, parasitic worms. <laughs> I'm afraid it, it, it's a little bit close to lunch, and I apologize in advance. First of all, threadworms, enterobius, uh, cute little things. They're only tiny, a few millimeters in length. Um, you're probably all quite familiar with it. Probably one in ten of people in this room have probably got some. <laughs> and half of all children. Uh, they're the ones which you're probably all familiar with when you say, I've got worms. Um, interestingly, they come out at about two o'clock in the morning. And if you want to diagnose threadworm... You get a roll of sellotape <laughs> and get up very early in the morning. <laughs> the more popular tapeworm, cestodes. There's an example of a beef tapeworm. Um, I think we all know about tapeworms. They can live for up to 20 years, sort of better than your best friend sometimes. They live with you. Uh, they can grow up to 50 feet in length. And uh, one, my old professor actually had a, a good friend who actually used to farm them himself. Oh. My personal favourite, uh, and not so pleasant, is the Ascaris worm, which uh, can live throughout, moves around most of the body, but actually matures in the lungs, where it grows to about 30 centimetres uh, in length. Uh, but at some point, if they want to lay their eggs they need to get back into the gut. So when you're sleeping, they'll wriggle their way up your windpipe and back down your gullet just so they can start laying their eggs. So think about that tonight. <laughs> what on earth am I on about? <laughs> Why am I doing this? <laughs> uh, I thought this would probably wake you up. <laughs> get your attention immediately. It's something I am fascinated with. It's something I've studied in university, and I could probably talk the rest of the morning about worms. <laughs> um, I think we've all got our own little subject. I think Steve could talk about his Mercedes-Benz. Uh, <laughs> uh, is Mick here? Mick could talk about Shire horses, probably for... Uh, Forever. Um, <laughs> Nigel could talk about Wolverhampton Wanderers. And Rupert could talk about uh, Birds of Prey. Uh, so I have to ask myself the question then, um, what about the gospel? Now, do I, am I so fascinated with, and am I so enamored with the gospel that I can talk... Uh, ad infinitum about that because what interests us we tell others 
what is close to our heart and mind, we can't help but want to share and talk about. And so I'm introducing this series, <laughs> that what is our aim uh, for the series, but to really get us closer to the gospel, to it's that kind of subject that is our favorite subject. Um, okay. What is the gospel? Now, we've already heard <laughs> a very good introduction to it already, but I like pictures. Is that the gospel? We've probably all got one of those. Yes? The gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Yes? Does that sentence summarize the gospel in three sentences? Not quite. <laughs> I think we've already heard um, from John Piper that the gospel is more. And I think I have been guilty of perhaps in my own mind seeing the gospel as those things, of imagining it as a handy four-step uh, tract. Or I probably could have summarized the gospel in the same way in three sentences, and that's what it was. But I think the aim of the next six weeks at least is to expand our vision of what the gospel actually is and what it really means. Um, it's not just salvation. It's not just uh, that we'll go to heaven. It's about bringing us closer to, to God. Um, one thing John Piper said is that we can study and we can know honey is sweet. <laughs> we can know the different sugars that live in honey that can make it sweet. It's a completely different thing to actually taste it and to actually know honey is sweet and what it actually tastes like. So that is our aim. So I'm not going to cover the whole gospel. <laughs> I'm just going to talk about a plan. This is the first point which John Piper was mentioning. So if you've got your fingers in 1 Corinthians 15, we'll read that first. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Obviously, I've highlighted the issue of being in accordance with the scriptures. Paul, in this chapter, was giving evidence to the Corinthian church for the resurrection. And first of all, of all the list of evidences he gives, it's the scriptures. As if it's the first and greatest importance uh, evidence. Only second then is Peter and the twelve. Then it's the five hundred. And then bringing up the rear, he talks about himself. But of primary importance is the scriptures as being evidence of the resurrection and the gospel. I think it also was put in there because he wanted to show it wasn't just a new first century invention that this happy event happened and now 
we have the gospel. The fact that it was throughout the whole scriptures shows that it was ancient, (laughs) at least as old as Genesis. And he was drawing our attention to that. Right. Are you ready? (laughs) I'm just going to go through, I probably don't have time to go through all the scriptures, I'll be reading the whole Bible, uh, to talk about what the scriptures say, the evidence, um, the gospel, and how God has planned it. Okay. It might be easier to write this down than rather than look. Uh, try and look these up. Genesis 3.21. Adam and Eve were clothed. From the very beginning, there was evidences already that God had a plan. Now, they didn't kill the animals themselves to cover themselves in skins. God did. An animal had to die to clothe their shame. Already they tried to cover themselves with leaves and failed. God had to provide a sacrifice so that their shame would be covered. That is already speaking of the substitutionary atonement. Abraham prophesied, still in Genesis, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. He was on uh, the mountain prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac, but God came to him and provided a ram. Um, Abraham had faith in God that he would provide, and he did. And it was known that that would be the mountain of provision. Some would say that is the same mountain where Christ would eventually be crucified. Job, in all his suffering, cried out for a mediator. He said, there is there no one who can put his hand on my head and on God and bridge us together, who can be an intercessor for us. Moses prophesied of a future prophet in Deuteronomy. Jonah was lost for three days. Um, and Jesus talks of that in Matthew twelve forty. Just as Jonah was three days in the belly of a whale, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. Isaiah 53. I was very tempted to read through (laughs) the entirety of Isaiah 53. Every single word of that uh, speaks of the suffering servant, Christ, who it tells us it was God's will to crush for the sake of our iniquities. Um, and that by whose stripes we will be healed. Psalm 16.10 promises us, or promises Jesus, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see decay. This is a promise of the resurrection. Psalm 68.18 tells us you're ascended on high leading captives in your train again he will be resurrected and will ascend to heaven and in Psalm 110.1 it says the Lord says to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool Isaiah 25.8 he will swallow up death forever And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. 
for the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 26:19 Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Christ's sacrifice and resurrection is so that we also will have resurrection life. That's just a start. <laughs> Uh, a taster of what you can find in the Bible that would point you towards Christ. But I'm sure Phil could tell you, you can find evidence throughout the entirety of the Bible. Although not every scripture will seem to point directly to him. Um, There are so many themes that run through the Bible. Uh, Blood sacrifice, substitution, atonement, redemption, resurrection, restoration the king, the prophet, the priest. And all these lines all find their point, their origin uh, in Christ. So what does that show us? That no man designed that. It took uh, divine planning. And surely if there's anybody here today who doesn't believe or has any question as to how we can actually know this is true, it's already there. (laughs) Do you need any more? So, what does that actually mean for us today? Um, What, this is the application section. (laughs) What does it mean to know that God has planned the gospel, that it was planned throughout history and through the whole Bible. Well, Paul's aim, we can have confidence it's true. (laughs) We know it wasn't a new invention. We know that God himself had designed this. Um, Paul was trying to tackle the doubts of the Corinthians um, and pointed them towards the scripture. We can have confidence that Everything uh, promised through the Bible is now ours through Christ. So I was going to read, although I didn't actually write this down. Please look up Ephesians 1. I'm just going to read verses 7 to 14. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. 
we have confidence that's ours. And it's by God's plan that it's ours. We have confidence in God. Um, I have confidence that my standing up here today, uh, I'm not going to screw it up. Because I'm speaking the word. And God has planned from the beginning that his gospel will go out. His word will go out. I was speaking to someone recently, I think it might even be you, Mark, about witnessing to people and is there any fear in witnessing and I think your words were that I have no reason to fear it's his plan not mine (laughs) 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 maybe it wasn't but I'll give you the I'll give you the glory for that one (laughs) and it's true we can go with fear in wanting to witness to our friends that Am I going to say it right? Am I going to get this right? But is there a reason for fear when God has planned the gospel from before time began? <laughs> Are you going to suddenly, by one slip of the wrong word, going to ruin everything? And then oh, God's going to have to say, well, we'll go back to the scratch. Let's go back to Genesis. Jonathan got it wrong. <laughs> Not exactly. No. Um, we have confidence that God is in control. And the third point which I felt actually led to talk about is that we have hope. And I wanted to talk about the issue of hope. Um, We have, obviously, the hope of salvation. We have the hope of eternity with God. Um, There is also hope for now, Um, which I think I've not been going very long, but I'm coming towards the end already. So just talking about hope. Now, it's never a coincidence. Every time I do a sermon, God speaks to me personally (laughs) through whatever I'm studying. Every time it happens. Uh, And this is what he was speaking to me about. Um, Some of you may know I've just recently started a new job uh, in Buckley. And I've been quite anxious about it, quite worried about it. And it's been on my mind and sort of preying on my mind for quite a while now. And just been feeling generally discouraged um, about most things. <laughs> I'm driving home quite recently. Um, I was driving through a village back home. Uh, and God just spoke to me the words about hope. You need hope. <laughs> um, well, I, I kind of discounted it initially, and then Tim Hughes comes on the uh, playing through my radio, uh, Jesus Christ, Hope of Glory. <laughs> and I just realized where I was driving as well. If you know the route between Buckley and, uh, <laughs> and Wrexham, I was right in the middle of hope. Welcome to hope. <laughs> okay, Lord, there is some purpose uh, in this. And I wanted to talk about hope. Um, my trials are probably nothing in comparison to some people here. Um, trials that, I don't know, that are really getting them down. Um, something they've been living with for quite a long time, a while, that's really finding it hard to find hope in. How do you hope when the plan has gone all wrong? <laughs> or when it seems that the plan 
that you understood is not working out. Um, a verse I'd read recently in Proverbs tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it does. If you're not having hope in your life, it makes you feel sick. It makes you feel heavy. There's a weight on you. You need vision for life. You need hope. And I, can relate, I could relate to that in some respects. I did feel heavy in my heart. But I want to be encouraging this morning. We're talking about the gospel and what that means and how that applies. And for encouragement, I think we're going to turn to Lamentations. (laughs) Um, And our good friend Jeremiah, who is the likely author of uh, Lamentations. I'll give you a few minutes. That's why I've given you some advance warning to find that book. Um, Now, if anybody has gone through difficulty and long-suffering, it's Jeremiah, who probably for most of his life was discouraged, was praying and was prophesying and speaking to Israel with no evident success, and who was thrown into a cistern, who was really treated very poorly. And then towards the end of the life, his life... uh, What does he see as fruit? He gets exiled to Babylon with everyone else. (laughs) And Lamentations, and we'll just look at 3, 19 to 25, um, was written at a time of Israel being uh, exiled, lost, away from their temple, no longer able to offer their sacrifices with no obvious hope. Let's read this. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and bows down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. God was speaking to me through this passage. I think it's very instructive. What do you do when you have no hope or you feel like the plan has gone wrong? I think it's useful in the first two verses to see that Jeremiah just starts by complaining. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with venting a bit of your feeling, (laughs) venting a bit of your emotion. Um, God doesn't condemn that. It's what you do with it uh, that matters. So there should be no feeling of guilt to to feel, I can't talk about this, I can't express to my friend, what I'm going through, it would, it would be unrighteous. No, <laughs> it's perfectly fine. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. It's important to, at this point, uh, if you're lacking hope, to look in the right direction. And first place for me is normally the Bible. 
pick it up. Um, if it's hard to pray, just read. You can at least do that. And Jeremiah here is looking, and he's bringing to mind by a force of action. He's looking to get hope again for himself. And what does he find? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He remembers God's steadfast love. His mercies never come to an end. He thinks about God's mercy. They are new every morning. Every morning, Jeremiah will seek God's mercies and make it a daily act to look and remember. He remembers his faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. It's tempting for me to look elsewhere. <laughs> Where will my portion come from? Uh, ben and Jerry's ice cream <laughs> is a very tempting first option when you get home from work. Um, people, friends, family, will they give me hope? Will they give me encouragement? Yes, well, they can. But they're not your portion. <laughs> they're not going to give you that life, that health. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, my hope will be in him, and I will look to him. And how does it finish? The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And I'm probably just teaching you to suck eggs here. <laughs> but if you need hope this morning, we need to be looking for the God of the gospel who planned the gospel uh, from all eternity, who's planned a means to bring you back to him. As John Piper was saying, we need to meet God. And if anybody is feeling any hopelessness or lack of hope, and if any of that means anything to you, I don't know if it was just for me or if God wanted me to, to mention this this morning, please feel free to come up at the end or afterwards to get prayer today. But um, I'm already coming towards an end. I didn't realize how short this would be. If, Phil, you'd want to perhaps prepare um, a last few songs, I would like to pray, if that's right, for everybody. Jesus, first and foremost, thank you for everything you've done. I thank you that the gospel happened. I thank you, Father, that you planned it and that you didn't spare your son. And that today we have every reason for confidence, for hope. And as we've heard today, that we can come directly into that throne room and kiss your hand. I just want to pray that we would, over the next few weeks, just grasp better what that means and what the gospel really means. And that we would not only understand in our minds, but that we would actually taste and see and that our hearts would be changed in a way to understand what your gospel is. For anybody today who, like me, had a feeling of lost hope, I just want to pray, Lord, that you will bring them hope and that you would bring them that joy and confidence, Lord, in you. Lord, through knowing you, 
through seeking you, through waiting on you, and understanding that the God who planned the gospel is still planning their lives, is still in charge, and is going to bring it to his end, to his desired destiny for them, Lord. In your mighty name, amen.